Happy spring, Artemis. Over here at World Headquarters, we are taking a much-needed week off. We're dipping into the archives to bring you this episode on hide tanning. Last spring, we sat down with Charlotte Sykes and learned all about how she got into tanning, an overview of her at-home process, and what she makes from the finished product. If tanning is on your want-to-learn list, or if you're looking for ideas on what to do with the finished hide, check this one out. We'll see you next week. Artemis endeavors to get more women and girls in the field and on the water. To support women as leaders in the conservation movement. To ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Hey everyone, welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I am your host, Marsha Brownlee, and our co-host today is Ashley Chance. Hi, Ashley. Hey. How's it going today? It's good. It's a sunny day here in Tennessee. Oh, it's a sunny day here in Missoula, Montana, believe it or not. I can feel spring and it's making me um, hopeful, (laughs) which is nice. Uh, We are joined. um, I feel like we've, I I really feel like we've spanned um, geography for the last several podcasts and it's been fun. And today we are joined by Charlotte Sykes all the way from England. Hi, Charlotte. Hello, hello. Thank you I'm so much. I'm very jealous of you both saying it's sunny. Yeah. <laughs> not, not so where you are? Not so. Very cold and very miserable here today. Oh, but, I'm uh, sorry. We, uh, we, yeah, we need some sunshine, please. Have you been getting any early signs of spring? Little bit. The daffodils are beginning to come, which is very exciting. Oh, see, now I think you're further along than we are. We have the, n- not even, like, thoughts of daffodils yet. Um. So hold on, you got, <laughs> you got this. <laughs> uh, where are you? Tell us a little bit about where you are. So I am based just outside of Northampton, so in the Midlands in the UK, so right in the middle of the country, la- as landlocked as you can be when you live on an island. Hmm. <laughs> can you describe the landscape to us? What's it look like? Of course. So we are, um, I live in a village. It is a relatively rural part of the country. Um, so we have a lot of uh, livestock farmers, arable farmers, but we also have a lot of commuters. So because we're in the centre, we've got really good um, access into our bigger cities. So it's a very mixed um, community that we're in, whether you, you know whether your bias is towards farming or whether actually uh, you work in a major town. But it's it's classic picture postcard England, you know England countryside, um, rolling hills, woods. It's very beautiful. And we, we like to think that Northamptonshire is a slightly unknown part of England, which we love. We keep it a secret. <laughs> I hear that. Montana really sucks. Nobody should come here. It's not a secret anymore, Marcia. <laughs> it's not a secret. <laughs> uh, Charlotte, tell us what's in your freezer. Oh, a real mixture at the moment. Um, we are a game-loving family. So we have uh, lots of venison. So my husband and I both hunt. Um, and my parents-in-law actually as well, and my kids are just beginning to start coming with us. They're still quite little, but lots of games. So venison, um, we have some wild boar, we have some um, salt marsh raised lamb. So that we have a friend who's a farmer um, in Essex, and she breeds her sheep out on the salt marshes, so they're born and bred out there, and this is the most delicious lamb that you could possibly eat. So we have quite a lot of that. We also have some rare breed pork, um, real mixture. We're meat lovers in our family, <laughs> so it is stacked full of meat. 
And um, actually, we're still in lockdown here, so it's it's perfect for us because the freezer's full. Um, there's a little bit of vegetable growth still in the garden, not a huge amount, but we're we're happy on meat for the moment. Um, when you say there's vegetable growth still in the garden, is that like preserved from throughout the winter that you've kept? Yep. So we we grow as much of our fruit and veg as we can. So vegetables mainly, a little bit of fruit, soft fruit. Um, but we, the things that have kept growing, so we get quite a lot of kale, quite a lot of cabbages, brassicas, um, and they will overwinter quite well. So there's still a little bit left in the garden, not a huge amount. I'm quite excited that as the weather's getting a little bit warmer, I'm just beginning to sow the seeds of this year's planting. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really good mix. No, I know this podcast isn't about gardening, but I'm going to ask you a few questions. It is the season. It is. Um, do you have them in a greenhouse or do, or, or do you just protect them through the, the, the colder spells? So all of the um, seeds are grown in a greenhouse and actually one of the green. <laughs> just to go back to your comment, I'm very happy to talk gardening all day. I love it just as much as I love hunting and fishing. So that's no problem. But all of the seeds are um, grown in a greenhouse and I heat one of them. So all okay. the young seeds are in already and they're on a heated um, big bed, you know, covered raised bed. Um, and then I'm when grow things on, they go into the unheated greenhouse and then they plant out. But I do cover um, everything out. We get really bad frosts where we are because we live on the top of a hill. Mm. So the frosts, you know, get really lovely sunny days, but then the nights are very cold still. Um, so I'll fleece things over or put a just a um, mesh tunnel over things. Um, the way my garden is as well it's got trees all the way around it like an amphitheater so the pigeons sit on the trees just eyeing up the veg as it grows <laughs> I have to be quite good at covering it to make sure that they don't come and attack it all day yeah, so, um, yeah can good. you hunt the can you hunt the pigeons Charlotte you can um, on on land where you've been given permission so obviously okay. for us, it's just a garden in a village, so we don't. But you can hunt um, or shoot pigeons on, on people's land where they've given you permission. Gotcha. I also have a question about the lamb. Yeah. How does uh, being raised in a salt marsh change the meat of a lamb? Do you know what? I actually am not entirely sure, <laughs> except the fact that obviously their diet, mm -hmm. you know, they're eating and drinking a salty <laughs> you know it's a it's a very different um type of food than if you're eating just grass-fed and i sure. don't know why it's so delicious and it's it's uh you know in our top restaurants all throughout the country you'll have salt marsh lamb and it's just for some reason and maybe i ought to go away and discover why it's so good but it is amazing <laughs> i don't know why it sounds <laughs> <I'm sorry>. good <laughs> it sounds amazing and i just think it's got to be um so tender i don't it just like salt's a tenderizer right <laughs> just sounds tender. exactly and it is and actually we grow we get the hoggets so the ones that are um slightly older and they are really really tasty but you know good for making a curry good for having in a kebab they're really unctuous you know and they're quite you've got a really nice mixture of um jelly on it as well as the meat so yeah mm. it's, it's super mm. tender um, and it's a great way to, you know, the kids are going to eat it. You know, you go, oh, I haven't got anything to eat. What can they eat? And you know that they'll eat lamb chops of that all day, mm. every day. So it's perfect. <laughs> as soon as this quarantine's over, uh, you may find a visitor. <laughs> <laughs> you can come. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 
Uh, well, you were here um, uh, to talk to us today about many things, one of them being uh, tanning hides. Uh, but before we delve into that subject, of which I'm sure no one is surprised by the fact that I have a thousand and one questions, uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, of course. So I am... Um... My name's Charlotte. I'm married. I've got two children. I've got two um, English Springer Spaniels, so working dogs called Laxa and Yati. I have one too. <laughs> Let's do a whole episode on it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. It's really nice. I love seeing it when they're that side of the pond. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we've always had Springer Spaniels. We love them. We love the fact that they're slightly crazy, but they are just <laughs> the most wonderful friends. Um, and they are such a part of our family. Um, what can I tell you? So I was born in the UK, but I actually grew up um, in Was- just outside of Washington, D.C. So my oh, wow. father um, worked for um, a theological college. We came over, he uh, got a job, and we lived just in Virginia. So um, for about 11 years, I moved back when I was just under 12, um, came back to the UK and went to school. So a lot of my family all live in the states so i have i'm I'm very english but i do feel you know that i've got a part of me is is very um very close to america you know i love it i we do travel we do come and see family as much as we can they come over um and it's a big part of who i was growing up really Um, and it's important for my children i feel to make sure that they enjoy that mixture as well um where we are in the country in Northamptonshire, you know, you can be here for five generations and you can still be a newcomer. So, and it's a very different type of society. And I, and I wasn't brought up like that. And I love the fact that my children now are part of that community. You know, they were born into this community, so already they're very welcomed. But I also think it's really important to show them the other stuff. Um, but I, I run a, in my day job, I run a um, careers coaching and recruitment business, which I've been running for 10 years. Um, we do a lot of work with all our, really in the local community. I've wanted to support people going through change, going through transition with their jobs. Um, obviously, this last 12 months has been quite a stressful time for that, um, but also a really, really rewarding time. Um, so that's me. I hunt, I fish, I garden, I sew, um, I bake. I try and, you know, I need all those things as my tonic from my day, my day job. <laughs> You know, as my relax is yeah. my relaxation, and um, that's where my real enjoyment comes from. <laughs> how did you How did you get started um, hunting? I'm I'm late to it. I married a hunter, um, and I'm never really been the person to sort of sit and watch other people. When he said, "Do you want to have a go?" I said, "Okay, let's let's see where we get to." Um, and my husband's an absolutely avid outdoorsman. He always has been. Um, he used to work as a fishery scientist for years, um, but has always hunted his whole life. His And his parents are very keen hunters and still hunt now, even in retirement. Um, my mother-in-law is the best shot that I know. She's amazing. <laughs> um, and yeah, so for, I've been hunting just under 10 years um, and really enjoyed it, but feel like I've, I've there's still a lot to learn, but re- I do really, really enjoy it. And it's such a central part of our family now with our children um and i love how our our whole world as a family is geared around the food the cooking anyway so just to add the element of the outdoors and the harvesting the meat for the kids it just completes the circle um 
for us. So I've been thinking a lot lately about hides. Uh, <laughs> um, I think that's, I, spring always reminds me of bear hunting. And I recently picked up a bear hide from a, a hunt a couple years ago and was talking to a friend of mine about it. And she asked if I was going to go bear hunting in Montana again this spring. And I, I already have plans to go bear hunting in Idaho. And so I wasn't quite sure how to answer that question. And I was like, I, I'm not sure yet because how many bear hides do I really need? And, you know, of course, I always keep the meat of the bear and, and really enjoy having bear in my freezer. Um, but the hides are, are, are an important part of that hunt for me in a way that it isn't in deer. And she kind of called me out on that hypocrisy. She's like, well, you leave deer hides in the field all the time. I was like, you're, you're absolutely right. And I will sit with that hypocrisy for a while. Um, but so I've been thinking about it and I think one of, I mean, there are a couple of barriers for me when it comes to tiny, tanning my own hides that almost came out tining my own hats. I'm not sure what that is. Um, tanning my own hides. And one of them is lack of knowledge completely. Like I don't even know where to start. The other one is the, it feels to me like an effortful endeavor, a time consuming and effortful endeavor to do it on your own. How did you get started tanning hides? So your last comment, effortful and time consuming is absolutely the strap line, I think, that needs to be kept over. <laughs> if yeah. you want to tan your hides, beware. <laughs> um, it is both of those. So I got into it. Um, we, uh, My husband said one year, for his the year he was turning 40, he said, this year, I'm going to set myself a challenge. I'm only going to eat wild game. And I'm only going to eat wild game ideally that he could harvest and I thought it's, that's an amazing thing and it was really good because it it meant that you know we hunted more we fished more and actually it created more time for us to do stuff that we love and it made it more important that we did it because we both you know have busy lives and kids and it takes over and it was really nice it put it at the forefront of what we were doing and through that you know, everything comes home. The antlers have always come home. Every single bit of the meat would come home. We'd never, we'd never even flinch at, you know, pig's brain on toast or this and that. That just doesn't come into our thought process. So I just started thinking about it. And I was like, here I am. These, these hides are coming off and they're incinerated. Like you said, they're left in the field, aren't they? They come off, we leave them, don't think about them. And I um, just started thinking about it. And then I just started seeing these people popping up doing, you know, a footstool with a hide on it or a, you know, a hide rug or hide cushions at all our kind of country fairs and um, things like that. And they, these were people who were buying in hides from around the world and making them into fairly basic products and selling them for a fortune. <laughs> and I wasn't driven by the commercials, but what I was driven by, I was like, hang on a second. There's no story behind that hide. There's nothing. But for all of us who hunt, and you said it there about the bears, that bear hide tells a story for you, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And every time you see it, it brings all of the, everything back. Mm -hmm. um, so I set my, I was like, right, okay, well, you're going to eat meat. <laughs> you're going to eat wild game and I'm going to learn to tan hides. And just, it was like that. It was that simple and that quick a decision. Um, so lots and lots of YouTube videos, lots of looking on Instagram, lots of, ringing people and ringing tanneries so I've got to say that where I live in the UK 
um, in Northampton, we are known for our shoes and our leather. So we, um, when I say brogues, you know, smart men's and women's leather shoes, um, they come from Northampton, so my local city or my local town. Um, so there are lots of tanneries, leather working businesses things, and things here, not necessarily that do hides, but who I could ring. And I just started ringing them up and saying, can I come and talk to you? Um, and started that way. Um, and made a lot of mistakes along the way. Yeah. <laughs> An awful lot of mistakes. Um, I feel like that is definitely a gift that learning to hunt and fish and all of this stuff as an adult has given me is just the humility to be a learner and um, do things really badly for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so can you walk us through and just give us, I know this is a huge question, um, but I love learning through listening. Uh, so can you give us a broad overview and walk us through the process? Yes, of course. And I'll go slowly because I think <laughs> it is actually, a, it's a very process or very structured process. And I think what I've learned is that if you follow it, it's actually quite simple. So I, um, I've got to a point now with the tanning the hides that I can tan them when I'm in the office for the day because I've put the timings in and I've just diarised when I'm going to do it. So actually it doesn't feel stressful anymore. So I'll talk you through. So you've harvested your animal, whatever it is, bell, whatever you want to take the hide from. And ideally what you want to do is get that hide off warm because it, we all know, you know, if you're skinning, how quickly you can get a hide off. Um, some people like to use a fleshing knife, you know, to actually scrape it off. I would actually say if you can, hang your animal and either use your elbow or use your... I'm, I'm doing it here, which is so silly. I'm rolling my hand <laughs> into a knuckle and pushing down. <laughs> it's very helpful for the people listening. Um, get your hand in there, you know, peel it down and it will peel off. And as much as possible, you know, when you get the strips of the flesh on, you know, almost like the marbling that comes off, particularly on the back of a deer, mm -hmm. um, you want to try and leave that on the actual carcass rather than on the hide. Because obviously you want your hide as clean as you can. And if you take them off warm, you'll get it. You know, it's not bad at all. Can I ask a quick that make question? Yeah. yeah, of course you can. Um, and maybe this is too detail specific but why is it better to pull it off versus cut it off um i i've i don't know is the answer i've seen it done and i've i've seen it where you get your little knife and you do your little scrapes because you actually end up you know you, you, you scratch your carcass don't you and you batter mm -hmm. that meat but also you're putting little scrapes into the hide and actually what you want to do is create as smooth as consistency on the back of the hide as you can when you're okay. taking it off um, if you need to use a knife, there's no problem. I think I've my preference now, being more experienced, is to use my hands. Mm -hmm. But also, it takes a little bit of strength. You know, you have you've got to um, be quite happy to put a bit of grunt behind it. Mm -hmm. um, some little things that are really helpful though is when you're hanging it. If you're hanging from the back legs, and this is really quite detailed, if you're hanging from the back legs, make do a cut. You know, like a like you're putting on a pair of socks. 
put a cut ring all the way around the back of the legs, carefully not to cut the tendons, and then strip, um, put a cut down probably to the middle of the bottom and then pull it off that way because then obviously you can get it all in one piece. You see it and, you know, we watch all the, watch any hunting video when someone's caping an animal and that'll show you the cuts. Mm-hmm. You know, but again, it depends what you want to do with it. Um I would love to say I have beautiful bear hides on my wall, but I don't yet. But I will come, and I will come to Montana <laughs> on a spring bear hunt. If I can ever do it, I will. Perfect. <laughs> it's on my list. I know this great um, place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there. I'm there, I promise. So, um, Charlotte, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you just for a second. My, my husband has had this idea that he's been talking about. So when, when we move, we're hoping to buy a house soon. And part of our dream in our house is to have like a game processing room, maybe not in the house, but just a setup where we can bring game and do it effectively. And one of the things that he's thought of is, you know, have have either of you ever seen those gambrels that are on like a motor? So they'll, they'll raise and lower the animal. Just, it's just like a push of a button. Yes, exactly. Oh, and you want okay. something like that. Yeah. 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 So his idea was that we would have one of those. And then if, if you guys are familiar with what an earth anchor is, basically they're cheap. You can buy them from the hardware store for a couple bucks and attach a cable to them, pound them down into the ground. And then they're an anchor in the earth. And his idea was that we could <laughs> get the hide started like you described and attach it to the earth anchor and then just lift it up like using the automatic lifter and it would... Uh, skin it skin for you, itself. just pull it right off. Yeah. I, so I, I mean, it seems logical. <laughs> seems logical. I'll let you know in a couple of years if it actually is. So I think I saw, God, I think it was a long time ago, but I'm sure I saw on a meat eater, recipe, meat eater episode that they did something similar, but they put a golf ball in the hide and basically tied loads of string around it and then attached the string to a truck and then drove and it pulled it off. So huh. I do think there's ways like that you can do it. Absolutely. Um, And that's exactly what you want to do. You just want something to basically declothe it and just pull it off. But I think my the word of warning at that stage is if you can leave as much meat on your carcass rather than on the hide, because it's a pain to get it. Once the hide is loose and you've got loads of meat and flesh all over it, it's quite difficult to then get that off. Sure. Um, Exciting, though. I'm jealous of your meat prep room. Well, it's a dream currently, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I love that you have a meat prep room on your vision board <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think we all do don't we I think we all do yeah, yeah. <laughs> I definitely do amazing um okay so step two so yeah nope I, I was just gonna take us on to step two that sounds great so step two um and I started traditionally where I had a fleshing beam with a big wooden beam I put the hide over it and I began scraping. And that's what I'd read in a book. You know, I'd read some traditional tanning material, you know, um, guides. And they said, this is what you do. And you flesh it and you flesh with the knife. And after about six hours on my first deer hide, and I decided to do my first tanning over the Christmas holidays, one holiday. And I was in the garage, in the cold, with my head torch on. All the family was inside drinking and having a great time and partying and I was in the garage going what am I doing (laughs) it was so bad (laughs) so I went right there's got to be a better way there has to be a better way and thanks to YouTube I found this guy 
in New Zealand who uses a pressure washer. And he mm. tacks his hides down onto a board and he pressure washes them. And what it does is it lifts all the flesh off and the membrane, and it's the membrane that you must get off, which is a like sort of pale grey yellow mucus that's underneath the flesh. And everybody thinks that when the flesh comes off that that's done, but it's not. You must get that next layer off. Um, and the pressure washer is amazing. I don't use the round nozzle. I use the one, you know, when it's got the flat spray. Mm-hmm. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean by that? So, mm-hmm. And you use that because then you can basically create a straight line and then just very slowly walk that line and it pulls everything off. Just being careful not to put it so close that you make a hole in the hide because you'd be devastated to put a hole in. So enough that you can see it's coming off. But it has literally been the lifesaver for me. (laughs) So I did go out and buy myself like a full fisherman suit, you know, big yellow (laughs) all-in-one day water suit (laughs) that I can wear when I'm fleshing. Um, But that. What do you? And I think. What do you use to tack it down, Charlotte? Just any hardware nail, you know, nails you can get from a hardware shop. Onto like plywood. Onto plywood, yeah. Okay. Anything that you find that's you don't want to stick it on a really heavy bit of timber that you can't move. Sure. Um, but if you can stick your board up against a wall or, you know, ideally you want it. I mean, I started doing them on the drive at home, but I've got a gravel drive. And obviously as soon as you get that gravel wet or you spray it, it flies everywhere. So I ended up then propping them up against a wall and doing it against a wall um, on, on a board. Um, and I'd say, so for me, a red deer so we're talking probably mm, comparable size, mule deer size would probably take me about an hour to flesh with a pressure washer. Okay. So it's better good... than days with a board flusher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Six hours later with a, you know, and you're nowhere near. Yeah. Um, so that's the next bit. Uh, it's really important to spend the time on it. What I forgot to say is if you want to take your hide off and you want to freeze it before you before you do that fleshing, you can. You can get it straight off the animal, stick it straight in the freezer, and you can do it whenever you like. Is there any and that's special really important. tips or tricks about storing it, or can you literally just fold so it up and put it in? Fold it up, stick it in a bag, stick it in your freezer. Okay. But it's quite – you want to do that phase. If you go – so for us, for example, um, we have – kind of not set periods that we hunt but we have holidays that we always go on as a family and all of us as a wider family we all go on our hunting trips and we'll quite often go you know and we might have 10 hides to I might have 10 hides to bring back I'm not going to do all those hides in one go so I'll freeze half and do half mm-hmm. just to do them as batches so take it off stick it in the freezer but the fleshing bit when the fleshing bit's done you're then onto a winning process um so I in all honesty I actually use a f- series of pickling um, chemicals to do my hides still. I am not traditionally smoking them at the moment because of where I am. Um, I haven't got the facilities to smoke them, and that is my next bit of learning and growth um, for my for the process for me. But there's a very traditional firm here that we have in the UK that create, um, they're very well known for their taxidermy. They're very well known for their, um, well, taxidermy is probably the main thing. But they have a whole range of pickling um, liquids. You mix up the powders and you basically you rub on 
the different different pickles and it takes again about 20 minutes per hide to to paint this pickle on then you pack it away and store it overnight and it takes about two weeks every day for about two weeks you'll put something different on them and they're all fine you know they're they're not um really extensive dangerous pickles or anything like that but they are i, I would really like to go to doing the really traditional ones i just haven't done it yet you know where you do them with eggs and brain and all sorts mm-hmm. um but i am super excited about doing that next but i think it's a it's a slightly different world that mm-hmm. um and i'm not quite there yet what else can i tell you the next bit so, so, so once with you've the- got Real quick with the pickling stuff. So this is, um, uh, so you put it on the side, the hair free side, right? Yep. yep. And, uh, uh, what is my question? Um, and maybe we can get into, and maybe you're, you're taking me there. Um, and I just need to be patient, but, uh, is there a different process for, um, keeping the hair on, uh, and taking it off and where does that difference start? Yes, absolutely. There's a different process. So the process I'm walking you through at the moment is for your hair on. And Great. yes, you would all so you would um, apply that pickle to the he- to the flesh side. You would then pack it away. So you pack flesh on flesh, roll it up, and then leave it overnight just to pickle. So the one, the first one is a is really a preparation pickle. So it tightens it up. It opens up the skin ready for the tanning mixture to go in it then has a tanning mixture that goes on and then you start oiling it and actually it's putting the oils back into it which gives it as we all know that's the soft um, suede feel of a hide once you've done all of that and you've got it all and you've got your oils back in it then you hang it and that's where you put it onto a frame and we'll all we all recognize that image don't we with a hide hanging on a frame with somebody with a spade you know or a gardening you know a gardening um, or a lawn edger where they're softening Mm. and you look in any of these traditional tanning books and that softening process again is quite a physical process and I would say set yourself out an afternoon to get your softening because that makes the difference of having a dry crispy hide on your wall or actually having a hide that's malleable and you can do stuff with it Um, once you've got it really nice and soft I then take it um, we have a workshop down the road um, and I use a big industrial sander just to sand off the back of the hide again just to get the suede um, on the back of the hide really soft it gets all any because obviously as you know the hides they will have markings they will you by that point you shouldn't really have blood stains and things on them but again if they're on the the, the um, sanding will take it all off and clean it all up and make it look really smart um, and then the last step for me is just the cutting out um, of the cut out the edges, because again you don't necessarily want the dry crispy bits on the edge. You want it to look and have the shape of a hide, but you might want to take off some of the edges. Um, but it's a it's a long process, and I would say it takes about it takes me about three weeks to do a hide from start to finish. Wow! Um, and and you said pickling was how how many weeks of that? About two. Okay. Yeah, about two. And you said you do um, six of them at a time? 
<laughs> your forearms are probably like, <laughs> my forearms are ripped and my temper is through the roof by that point <laughs> I think my I think uh, and my husband put a ban on it one time I tried to do about 14 at once and I and he was just like this is crazy because you go out you know I go right I'm just going to go and do the next coat of pickle I'll be back in an hour and two hours later you're still there and it was just like yeah no I'll do I'll do a few at a time yeah um so to answer your question about the hair off, so that I've only just started making leather with hair off. Um, and actually, you know, and again, I'm quite happy to share these with you all afterwards, but I've found some really interesting stuff about um, how you can um, do them traditionally. And actually, I'd like to do my hair off traditionally with the, you know, with tanning them in eggs, with tanning them in brain. So you get that really soft buckskin mm-hmm. um, leather, the stuff, you know, that we make chaps out of or you make your beautiful buckskin shirts out of and things. But I think it's a very different leather um, if you do it the traditional way than if you do it with pickles. Um, I have done a few. I have done a few with pickles. And again, what you would do is once you've taken your hide off, um, the carcass you'd pressure wash both sides um there are um i know pickling and i've seen it actually over with you again um whether the pickles basically they're, they're called de-herring agents in their ammonia agents which just help basically just encourage the bacteria to pull the hair off because if you take a hide off an animal and you leave it for two weeks it'll rot and everything you know the hair will fall out and it'll go nasty but by putting it in a pickle just for a few days and you stir it and you mix it around, you're starting that process, but obviously you're controlling it because you're keeping an eye on it, but it will just pull the hair out for you. Um, but uh, I'm quite new to that process, but I have to say that um, the deer leather that I have made is unlike any leather I've ever seen. Um, you know, I we don't really have deer leather products here in the UK. You might if you went to a tanner, you know, you went to a leather shop and bought a deer hide, but you don't see it. Um, but it's um, it's it's really special. It's very um, very tough, really beautiful, and a bit soft to, t- to feel, but tough and hard wearing. So you can see why clothes and you know um, gaiters and everything for your trousers are all made out of them because it's such hard wearing leather. Okay. Um... I think so let's see where I want to how do I how do I want to transition us so I think you and I first got in touch um through buckskin which uh is well tell us tell us what it, what buckskin is so buckskin is um my little hob my hobby business um it's for deer it the strap line is artisan deer skin handbags and accessories I wanted to make stuff um with the hides I was making I love sewing I've always loved sewing I love crafting um and I made started making handbags clutch bags purses out of the hides um all completely different they all had a story to tell you know when I sell them they go with the story of where it's come from you know what was the occasion what happened with the hunt um so that because I felt that people here they were we have a 
community here that love hides, you know, love the hide handbags, love the hide purses, but quite a lot of them are just bought in, as I said before, you know, bought in from abroad. There's no story. But actually, there's been a real shift in retail habits in the UK in the last probably about 10 years where people want to buy from a story. You know, they want to know that it's been ethically sourced. They want to know where it's come from. Um, so when I created Buckskin, it was like, well, actually, I have a story to tell. You know, I've harvested these. I've tanned the leather. And this is the product that I've and the product I've made. Um, so it's only a small little small hobby business. Um, and it keep, you know, as I said to you, it's a tonic from normal life. You sit and you sew in the evening. Um, and it's been lovely. Charlotte, really could you good. talk could you talk a little bit about the process of sewing hides? Because I have a, a much less eloquent version of tanning hides that I've been implementing here over the last couple of years. And I've got some stuff that I, I want to make like, okay, my husband always when we're hunting, he's like, gosh, you're so loud. Like you walk so loudly. And I think it's ridiculous. I don't think I walk that loudly, but I think if I had moccasins, I could be quieter, like buckskin shoes. So my ultimate goal is to try to make some footwear out of these deer hides that I have, but I'm really intimidated. I sew, I'm a quilter, so I'm familiar with sewing machines and kind of that whole thing, but I'm intimidated by the prospect of trying to sew leather when I'm used to just sewing like one millimeter thick cotton. So can you talk a little bit about that? Okay, get, first things first, get yourself some really good hand cream. Because <laughs> 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 your hands get a really, really good battering quite quickly. Um, I'd say if you can, invest in some very simple but really good tools. So I have a mallet and I have a lacing tool, which is a um, an iron tool that's got uh, about seven prongs on it that are slanted at an angle and when you can you know you draw your line on your hide that you want to so you've got a straight line to follow and you just hammer in the holes as you go so they're all really uniformed all look really nice and then obviously when you're sewing you've got a really good hole to go through so are you hand sewing i'm hand sewing yeah okay yeah so um get yourself a really good pair of pliers and also some good leather needles. So any any sewing shop um, that does leather products will have really good leather needles. They're shaped, um, they're not like a normal needle. They actually have, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a triangle head? Exactly. Yeah, yep. exactly. Um, cool. The other, the other thing that someone told me, which is really handy, because like you, I was I started just using a cotton thread. And obviously... By the time you've pulled that through a hide 10 times, the cotton thread's just disintegrated. <laughs> so actually, I was advised um, to buy some wax thread. So okay. really like a hemp wax thread. And originally, what people used to do is they'd buy the thread and they'd buy a bar of wax and they'd wax it as they were sewing. But actually, oh. the joys of modern technologies, you can now buy wax thread already. And because it's waxed, it pulls through the hide really quickly. Cool. So, yep, so you've got your pliers, you've got your really good sewing needles, and you've got your tools just to punch your holes. Um, in terms of the templates and stuff for moccasins, you can look anywhere online and there'll be stuff. Um, I've got, and I'll send you the links, I've got a couple of really good books that, 
yeah, they show you how to make moccasins. They show you how to make a smock top. They show you how to make a, you know, a buckskin um, skirt. Just traditional things. But the moccasins, I think, yeah, I agree with you. I'd love to learn. I have never made any. I've made, I've made little ones for children out of rabbit skin, which have been amazing. Oh. <laughs> when friends' kids, are, you know, when you get round to your friends having their third or fourth child, and you're like, well, I can't buy them you know the same little thing anymore you're like right we've got to be a bit more creative (laughs) okay well as the youngest of three I would have been honored to receive the 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 rabbit rabbit skin booties instead of the (laughs) hand-me-downs I got from my sisters yeah okay another quick question since you mentioned rabbits I tried to flush a rabbit hide once and it was like wet toilet paper it just shredded how do you do that with difficulty (laughs) (laughs) um yeah my husband came home and did exactly the same he's like right got some rabbits for you and just put them on the table it's like okay fine yep i'll sort those out and the heart they're so beautiful the hides aren't they yeah and soft criminal to throw them away Mm -hmm. um what did i do i did that board so get yourself a little board tack it down with really small little tacks um and i actually i put salt on the flesh first Okay. Because it dried it out. Because I don't know, you said wet toilet paper. Exactly. They go really mushy. Yeah. So by putting a bit of salt on it, it just dried that whole texture, the whole of the flesh out. And I almost just peeled it and got myself a little sharp. I did knife that one and just did it and peeled it off. Because once you salt it, it creates a really... um the membrane goes really hard. And for the rabbits, I mean, you can't flesh a, you can't pressure wash a rabbit's hide. It'll just disappear. Cool. Uh, oh, got Ashley, I wear a size rabbits. eight foot. <laughs> just I'll, put you, I'll put you on the list. Okay. Are you going to rabbit fur line your deerskin moccasins? Oh my gosh. I'm, that would be, honestly, one time, sorry, this is an aside. One time we went duck hunting in Mississippi and there's, an invasive species called nutria um, that exists there. And they just were really bad for a lot of wetland vegetation because they're, they just eat it um, in great quantities. So one of them popped up in front of the boat and one of the people we were hunting with just shot it. I didn't even know what it was. And he was just going to leave it there. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> they, they were brought here um, to supplement the mink fur trade when mink were in decline before they started farming them. And so I brought that one home. And actually on the way home that day, we saw another one. I shot that one. So I had two of these nutria and I was able to finish their hides. And it's like mink fur. So I have these two little really high quality furs that I've been, I thought about making myself a duck hunting muff, but yeah, maybe I'll trim out my mythical moccasins. (laughs) I would. It sounds amazing. (laughs) It does sound amazing. It sounds soft and warm. Yeah, exactly. Super warm. (laughs) As I'm sitting in quite a cold room at the moment, that sounds amazing. (laughs) I always, yeah, I always uh, have to turn on, turn off the heater when we record podcasts because it's this really loud blow heater in the background and it just is an awful sound. And it's right about this time in where I'm like, you know, it's starting to get a little chilly. (laughs) It's all good. Um, that's a, so I would love for you to tell us a, a story about one of your favorite moments in the field or on the water. But before I take us there, is there anything else about um, tanning hides or making things from them that you feel we need to know 
Um, do it. You absolutely have to do it. You know, actually, by the sounds of it, you've got that nailed, you know, and I think as soon as you have the interest and a little, not, you know, it's not tenacity, but just a little bit of, oh, actually, I'm going to learn this. Anything, and learning is so possible these days, isn't it? Because there's so many online resources, there's videos you can watch, there's people you can talk to. I mean, I I have loved feeling really welcomed into the tanning community, even though the, some people, you know, they're tanning really traditionally, and here I am tanning still traditionally, but with pickles, you know, then you get the people who are doing the big volume um, chemical tanning. I'm still interested in learning from all of them. And I think if you've got that mind of wanting to learn, and being quite good at picking stuff up, then you can do it. Anybody can do it. And it's really rewarding. And I love, I made a miniature buckskin bag for my daughter for her birthday. You know, and I love it because people are like, oh, that's, that's, oh, what's that? And she can tell the story about it. You know, and then she can say, oh, and then we had slow roast venison neck for the lunch as well. And, you know, she knows the whole story. It's not just the hide. It's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I love that. Um, but no, I'd say be prepared to put the time in, be prepared to do the process and perhaps, um, Marshall, I'll send to you the process and that you're very welcome to share with everybody and I'll write it out and I'll put in an alternative because I know there are the equivalents to the pickles over with you because obviously I, you know, looked at them in terms of when I was trying to source my products, where did I get them from? So I know there's the equivalents. But I'm very happy to share that. But um, yeah, follow it and just beware the fact that your friends will probably laugh at you halfway through and say you're mad. It would be cheaper just to buy this hide. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm pretty sure my friends have all owned to the fact that I'm mad, and this won't be a surprise. <laughs> um, is there any any favorite mistakes you've had along the way that you're willing to share with us? Oh God, yeah, the list is long. Um, favorite mistakes? Yes, leaving them too long and thinking it's okay. I'll flesh it tomorrow because I don't really fancy doing it today. Because I'm, you know, it's a beautiful sunny day, and then you forget about it, and you go back two weeks later, and it's you hold it up, and it's like a holy old pair of tights. <laughs> it's just disintegrated. Um, what mistakes? Yes, I've, um, when you're when you're at the point of drying a hide and you've re-oiled it, and you're waiting to soften it, it's so important that you catch it at the right moment. And I remember someone telling me that, and I was like, well, how do you know? You just get a feel for it. When it feels cold still, but it's beginning to look dry, get softening it, because it's really hard to soften it once it's gone too dry, Mm. because they're basically trying to soften a bit of plywood. Mm. Some mistakes, mm-hmm. yeah, trying to <laughs> trying to soften the crispy pancake into back into a soft hide, which never worked very well. Um, yeah, pressure washing too hard, I think is another one. You know, trying to flesh stuff too quickly and thinking you rush forward with stuff and then blowing holes in beautiful hides is really frustrating. Mm-hmm. I I have another question, Charlotte, on the on the topic of holes and hides. So when you shoot an animal, like say a deer, if you shoot it in the heart or in the vitals, you're going to have holes in your hide to start with. So how do you navigate that when you're flushing it? Are you just careful when you come around the holes? Careful when you come around the holes. And then actually what you can do when the hide's still sort of not very, very wet, but still quite damp, you can actually stitch it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then from the hair side, you won't see it. But likewise, if you are doing hair off, because you've done it when it's still wet, you're binding it together better. 
so that you won't see the damage as much. Um, some of the stuff I've done, I've left the hole because I think the hole is quite fun. Mm -hmm. Other ones, you know, if you're making something where the hole's right in the middle of the front or whatever to sew it back up. But yeah, be careful because obviously also you get all the staining, don't you, around the hole? Yeah. Particularly where the, sh the shot's gone. So just make sure to wash it. And if you need to put a bit of washing powder or something in, just do, just to make sure it's really nice and clean. Gotcha. How many uh, hides do you get out of, no, how many bags do you get out of one hide? Um, depends what, one, what hide it is, and two, what bag. Um, so uh, let's have a think, give you a good example. Um, so a red deer, I would probably get four big bags out of, and that's talking like a big satchel type bag. Oh, wow. Okay. That's more than I was um, thinking. Yeah. But I... You know, I've cut templates now. I've gone to the world of going, right, okay, well, I'd want to make five of those, so I just bring out my templates and I trace around them so I know roughly what I can get out. And the reason I started making littler bags and smaller mini versions is because, obviously, I had offcuts left and I didn't want them to go to waste. So then I kind of shaped my buckskin product range around what was available because I really don't want the waste. You know, I've gone through all the effort of tanning this hide and making it beautiful, <laughs> then to go, oh, right, I don't need that, I'll throw it away, it just seemed completely stupid. Um, <laughs> yeah. So hence I the buckskin purse was born. <laughs> that's, a, that's funny, I feel that way when I'm making ravioli about the leftover <laughs> dough. I can't imagine what I'm going to feel about with its leftover hide. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, I'll send them to Ashley and she can line all her boots. <laughs> yeah. I can make good. a quilt. I can make you a can. scrap. Yeah, That's quilt. true. That's exactly. a lot of sewing. <laughs> <laughs> you got this. <laughs> uh, excellent. Well, Charlotte, tell us a story about one of your favorite moments in the field or on the water. Um. Oh, do you know what? I have this is such a. It sounds really cheesy, but I caught my first trout on the Madison River in Montana. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, we came over. My cousin was getting married. He and I have been very close since we were little, and he's um, from Savannah, and he was getting married. And I was like, oh, I don't... And he's getting married in April, and it was like, I didn't, didn't really just want to come over for just the wedding. And my husband and I were like, oh, and it was the master's weekend, so getting into Atlanta was super expensive. So we're like, how can we get over there cheaper? And we're like, oh, it's cheaper to fly to Seattle. <laughs> we're like, oh, if we're in Seattle, that's not too far from Montana. <laughs> so we chucked in a fishing trip before. So we came over and we fished on the Madison and my parents-in-law were there. And I caught my first um, trout on the Madison because obviously we salmon fish over here. That's what, you know, go up to Scotland and salmon fish. And maybe a little bit of wild brown trout on our small on our small streams, but I've never had any joy. So my first fish there, and it was the same day that my son caught his first fish ever, and he caught oh. an absolutely oh. stunning fish on the Madison on one of those days, typical Montana day. You know, it had chucked it down with rain and snow the day before, and then the next day we were all fishing, beautiful sunshine, and I caught my fish and he caught his fish, and honestly, it was just the day of all days it was just amazing oh, that's um, fantastic so we will be back when we can 
<laughs> I know this great place for that too. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did. I think I sent you an email, didn't I, saying I've just yeah. been over in Montana and I've yeah. been in Missoula, and you're like, why didn't you come and say hello? <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. The Madison is a beautiful river. It, yeah, it's got some. It's just beautiful. Yeah, it was. It was very beautiful. I want to come come back and do some do a float trip on the Smith. I think. Oh, excellent. Uh, that's a permitted trip. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it yeah, is a gorgeous exactly. river. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, will you tell us where we can find more information on Buckskin? Where we can take a look at some of the pictures you've got? Yeah, of course. So um, I'm on Instagram. It's just Buckskin. So B U C K S K Y N. Um, there's a beautiful uh my logo's beautiful um roebuck antlers drawn by a very good friend of mine who's an amazing artist so she drew that for me um very simple logo so there's pictures you'll find and sorry guys it's full of gardening it's full of cooking as well as it is all the sewing um because that's i think part of the story so that's there and i've also got a website so buckskin.com um, and you're very welcome to have a look at stuff um i love sending it's really nice Thank you so much to all of you over the pond who supported the buckskin um, over the over the years. But um, I love sending stuff over. So if anyone wants more information or anything, obviously very happy to help. Fantastic. And gosh, years ago now, you also penned a blog for us, um, uh, which is still up on our website about, I think it was called What About the Hide? Uh, and we'll be sure to link to all of these things in our show notes so everybody can go check them out. Brilliant. Uh, all right. Ashley, last last chance for burning questions. <laughs> I think I, I got my big hitters answered. So thank you, Charlotte. I feel like when I first started to try and learn how to do anything with hides, there was no good single resource that I could go to for like a, this is the cheapest, simplest way to do it. So I've invented my own version a little bit, but a lot of the information you shared today, I think is going to help me. So thank you. Good. My pleasure. Thank you. And I will send you some books that I think there's a book by um, Matt Richards, which is really good, which walks you through the process from start to finish. And I think that's right. And I think you've hit the nail on the head in create your own process and what works for you and whether yeah. that's a mixture of traditional tanning methods versus non-traditional versus, you know, me sticking a pressure washer in the process was not what I was expecting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, likewise, doing some of it, you know, hair off one way and hair on the other way. But I think it's so important that you take a little bit from everyone's process and make your own. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Look forward to seeing everything you make. Yeah. And I will send you pictures of my first hide, <laughs> no matter what <laughs> yes, it looks please. like. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, hits and misses. Ashley, what have you been aiming for and how did it go? I feel like I always have preemptive hits and misses that I tell you. Um, <laughs> although, you're setting me up. I, I appreciate that we can follow it through later. Yeah, okay. Well, I think something that I'm pretty sure is going to be a hit that I've been aiming for, and I know you have too, is our Turkey Tactics event that's starting tomorrow night. I'm so excited for it. I'm putting together my presentation, my small, quick presentation part of it. Um, I think it's just going to be awesome. We've got over 80 people registered, I think, and um, a lot of really great women that are going to be a part of it. So I'm thinking that's going to be a hit. 
yeah I'm really excited for that and and it's, I'm I'm still new to turkey hunting and haven't harvested a turkey yet and every year this will be my third year doing it in the spring um, I learn a little bit more and I personally am excited to have this community to help me uh, dig into turkey hunting this spring season it's going to be fantastic I'm so yes. I'm so excited for it <laughs> um Charlotte what have you been aiming for and how did it go just thinking about turkey hunting <laughs> got me distracted can I come <laughs> absolutely yes it's we, virtual uh, we record oh, this session, so you don't even have to watch it at like 2 a.m in the morning which is I think what the time <laughs> shift yeah, would exactly. turn to be yes please oh I, I've been turkey hunting one once and wow it was the most exciting thing I did and like you didn't have any success but I'm ready to have another go at some point perfect um what have what have I been aiming for um so it's actually not hunting related. I've been really aiming about getting back on top of my running. I used to run um, and I played field hockey for years, but suffered really badly with injuries. And just I think age was creeping up on me. Life was creeping up. And I just needed to know that when we went hunting, I was my level of fitness was better all the time. Um, and I've got back into my running and yeah, not doing a huge amount. Well, doing about 50 miles a month. And I've been really pleased and I am aiming for um doing a race in a few weeks time and I hope that's going to be a hit I hope that that's going to work and I'm going to be fit enough to do that and I will be super chuffed I'm really proud if I can do that so that's my oh, that's, that's fantastic. my hit that's so you. great yeah yeah uh, send us a picture when you finish your race <laughs> no <laughs> well, matter what it looks sweaty. like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> about the same look on my face as when I finished tanning the hides so right <laughs> <laughs> oh that's wonderful congrats that's a lot of hard work to get back into running. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Mental mental fortitude as much as physical strength, I think. Yes. Mm -hmm. I agree 100% with that. Um, geez. So my hit is um, kind of along the same lines as yours, Ashley. We did our first Go Confident as an Advocate um, course in Montana last Thursday. Um, and it was... It, it was great. The, the focus of our first session was um, what does it mean to be an ad advocate and uh, kind of narrowing in on what's your story? Um, what about your story is compelling when you're, when you're talking uh, to decision makers? And so we delved into that for the first couple hours and it was really lovely. And we have an amazing group um, uh, joining us for the series and I'm, I'm really excited about it. It was, it, it just speaks to my it's everything I love to do as a, as a hunter, as a, an educator, as a Montanan, as um, Artemis program manager. It's just, it's, yeah, it's what I live for. And it was great. It's uh, the whole package. It's the whole package. And a huge <laughs> shout out to all the women who joined me for that. I'm so excited to, to be doing this for, with you guys for the year. Um, and then, and then kind of a, a setting up for a future hit. Um, which I was thinking about at the beginning of this podcast, Charlotte, as you were talking about gardening. Um, like I said, it's starting to get hints of spring and it's Montana. So we honestly probably have like three months left <laughs> of, of winter, but you know, the days are longer and the birds are, are starting to come mm -hmm. back. Um, and so I'm, I've got gardening stars in my eyes and I've been doing a whole bunch of research on root cellars uh, and, I have a small city lot, so there's no way I can do like a, a full on root cellar, but just kind of looking up hacks for how I might be able to do a smaller version and 
have visions of like burying uh, steel trash cans and converting them into cold winter storage for some of oh, my vegetables. Cool. And, Amazing. Yeah, and I'm excited for that. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I'm just a little urban homesteader out here with my hides and my buried <laughs> trash cans. Like I said, my friends already own that I'm strange. <laughs> hey, you used get- <laughs> to live in a van down by the river. Am I correct? It, it was an old, um, I like that story better. <laughs> you can't leave us on that note. <laughs> it, it was an old Airstream trailer that had um, been converted and it like it had a foundation on it and they added a sunroom. So it was oh, that sounds uh, nice. It was lovely. I I enjoyed living there very much. Uh, but yeah, it was this gorgeous um, little lot in the mountains of Colorado, back by a river and. Um, across the river was public land so that was where I you know saw my first set of bear tracks in the morning and wondered what the strange person was doing walking barefoot in the middle of the snow <laughs> and heard um, uh, mountain lions howling and said oh my god what is that tortured sound um, yeah it exposed me to deep wilderness and yeah part of Amazing. my heart still lives there that's awesome yeah, yeah. Well, you make where we live seem quite quite urban now, you know, in the in a village. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it wasn't that. No mountain lions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm okay with that <laughs> right yeah. now where I am in my life. I'm okay with with no mountain lions screeching in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, Charlotte, it was wonderful to talk with you. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you so much for having me and thank you for welcoming me into the community, you know, from, from day one and yeah, just really delighted and what you do is just, uh, just fantastic. And someone who's come, you know, to this later in life, feeling just as welcome as people who've come all the way through is just, just fantastic. So thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank pleasure. you for inviting me. Um, yeah, it was great to meet you, Charlotte. Thank you. Yeah. Lovely to meet you. And please do uh, keep in touch and make sure you send your pictures of what you're doing. Certainly. Sounds good. And if you pass through Montana again without giving me a call, we're going to have some serious issues. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. I promise. Okay. Uh, Great. Excellent. To all of our listeners, thank you for joining us this week on the Artemis podcast. Send us pictures of your hides if you do it or creative ideas for how you're using your hides once they are tanned. Um, we'd love to see them. We hope you're having a great week. Until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside. Mm-hmm.